Bonjour mes cœurs et bienvenue, welcome to the next episode of The Paris Lessons. And I am joined today by my favorite Parisienne, Tara, or Tara. She is the fur baby of my best friend Xavier, who you've heard me talk about so many times. I've written so much of his wise French advice in my courses. So I'm puppy sitting her this weekend, so you can probably hear her right now. So in case you hear a little pitter patter or a sweet little bark, you know that it's it's Miss Terra. Terra who is named after the movie Gone with the Wind. J'espère que vous allez tous très très bien. I hope that you're all doing very, very well. Merci d'être là. Thank you for being here. It's so wonderful to travel because it reminds us of the things that are very unique to where we live. And I've lived in Paris long enough that there are things that I have started to take for granted, like the café, the café. So Tara and I, we have been spending quite a bit of time on terrasse and also au comptoir. It might surprise you to learn that there are so many Parisians still on terrasse. Those of you who haven't spent a lot of time here, many of the terraces at the cafes here are heated, but Parisians just really love to be outside, which I thought was so funny as a Californian when I first moved here, but um, now I'm into it. I get it. It's nice. It's completely normal and actually rather cozy to sit outside and be totally bundled up and do some great people watching. I actually always like to translate être en terrasse by people watching. That's a very figurative translation. Obviously, that's not a literal translation, but I think that that's one of the reasons why we love to be en terrasse so much. So one of the things that I missed in Rome were all of the cafes and the opportunities to, uh, you know, really just sit outside and, and read a book really at at every corner. However, obviously there are many things that Rome has that Paris doesn't that I fully enjoyed. In this episode, I'm actually going to teach you some French. I'm going to give you some French practice. I haven't done a podcast episode focused on uh, learning French in some time, and I've received some wonderful questions from people. Quite a few new students have joined me since the beginning of the year, new beginners, which I always love so much. I'm so honored to help people begin their French journey. And I always ask students who are using my Basics for Beginners self-study program to send me a message to let me know about, you know, their reasons for studying French, their experience, if any, with French. So if you're one of the students who has joined me this year with that program and you've sent me an email, thank you so much. I love, love, love reading them. And you're one of the reasons why I was inspired to do a more French lesson-focused podcast episode. First, though, a couple of administrative announcements as I'm starting to receive a lot of emails about when the membership is going to be starting up again, if there's going to be room for new members in it, and also just about future classes. So I've decided to change a bit the structure of the way that I um, schedule and release my classes and my programs, a lot of which is clearly inspired by being back in a university system myself as a student. However, I've decided to put French is Beautiful not on a semester calendar, but on a quarter calendar. So this means that every quarter there will be new classes, there will be some new self-study programs, most of which will be 
available only in a limited quantity. Not all of them are going to then, not all of the live classes are going to then be available, the live online classes, I should specify. Not all of the live online classes will then later be available as self-study programs. All of this will be um, will be reiterated in great detail when I release the spring programming. So the next round of classes and the next release of self-study programs will be April 1st, so April, May, June, the spring quarter. I'm taking what would have been the winter quarter, January, February, March, to to edit some of those programs that I've created for you for spring and also to make some very useful and exciting updates to the way that 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 uh, content is going to be delivered to you. As far as the membership goes, what I have in mind that will be replacing the membership is actually quite different. The price point is different. So for those of you who have been members, continue to enjoy that material that you have from last year and know that you were part of a very, very special moment of French is Beautiful. That cycle of those 12 months of that membership are a really wonderful, rather complete journey of the essentials that you need to know to really take your French journey further. I consider those 12 months a beautiful complement to the comprehensive program with so many exercises and some cultural anecdotes. So continue to enjoy those. For those of you who are listening that were not part of the membership last year, I will at some point make those lessons available again as self-study content. But for now, just get excited for what I have planned for you that is going to be a beautiful, beautiful continuation of all the lessons that we enjoyed together in the membership last year. And I think that you're all I know actually that you're all really going to love what I have in store for you. I'm constantly, here's Tara barking. Tara, ça va? Ça va, ma belle? It's a really wonderful, cozy, rainy, gloomy Sunday here in Paris. We had our wonderful morning walk. We went to our neighborhood cafe. We went to the comptoir. Tara is the star of the quartier. Everyone adores her. Uh, so as I was saying, I, I always strive to create programs that I, to create things that I feel really should exist to help people take their French journey further, to remain inspired along their French journey, but that I don't see in the current marketplace. So get excited. And uh, voila, and one of the programs that we are going to, I'll sort of give you a teaser, one of the classes that is for sure happening in the spring quarter is going to be the French uh, Philosophers, Writers, and Poets course that I taught in French, en français, last year. I've translated it into English for those of you who asked for me to do that. So that will begin in the beginning of April. You can look forward to an announcement on March 1st about the spring programming. And as I said earlier, all of the details relevant to getting registered or which courses have limited spaces or which courses won't be self-study courses after or which self-study courses are only available in a limited quantity. All that information will be there for you. I'm very excited about this French writer's, um, Poets and Philosophers course, 
because it's also going to be a wonderful introduction for those of you who have written to me about um, the possibility of me teaching philosophy. So that is something that I will be doing in the near future, and that French Writers, Philosophers, and Poets course will be an excellent start to that. Philosophy is very interesting in that when, when you when you start to examine ways in which you can teach it to um, you teach it in a way that is, I would say, lighter. I don't want to say superficial because the last thing I intend to do is to teach philosophy in a superficial way. But it is interesting. I'm starting to understand more and more why we don't see uh, philosophy more in mainstream culture in the United States because we don't grow up with it in our education. And it really is something with its own language. It really is a a field that is about making connections between the different schools of thought of different philosophers. And so, and I know this from experience, it was very challenging to jump into philosophy in the last year of undergrad, let alone in French, at La Sorbonne, at Paris 4. So I'm really striving to create something that will enable me to take you on a journey that's very profound but that's not intimidating and that is going to provide you with um, the wonderful experience of enrichment that philosophy has provided me with in, in you know, just the time that I've been reading and reflecting and sort of been in conversation with these philosophers via their books. And also, of course, I want to choose, for example, the first philosopher whose work I want to study is Simon de Beauvoir. The book that I've chosen, it's this, the title is going to sound intimidating, but those of you who've studied with me before know that my one of the pillars of my method is making things accessible, but in a way that doesn't deprive the material of, of its essence. So this book is called The Ethics of Ambiguity. It sounds very serious, and it is serious. Let me read to you the quote that Simone put at the beginning of this book. This is from Montaigne, a 16th century French philosopher. La vie n'est de soi, ni bien, ni mal. Elle est la place du bien et du mal selon que vous la faites. La vie n'est de soi, ni bien, ni mal. Elle est la place du bien et du mal selon que vous la faites. This is a wonderful quote, basically saying that life is neither good nor bad. She's whatever place you give it, right? Life is good or bad according to whichever place you put her in. And that ties very nicely with the lesson on duality in being yourself the French way. So I'm very excited about being able to, to present you with that work of Simone de Beauvoir. She's obviously very, very well known for the second sex, le deuxième sex, but I thought it would be interesting, especially with, you know, everything that's happening in today's political climate, to um, do, to look at this work together. She wrote this in 1947. I think that this would be a very nice introduction to how philosophy approaches ethics, but through the voice and through the voice of Simone de Beauvoir. And as I said, it ties very nicely with the concept of duality as I present it in being yourself the French way. 
Et voilà, voilà mes cœurs. And there you go, there you go, my hearts. So what I wanted to do sort of to segue into our French lesson is I wanted to talk about So my experience just, you know, being in Rome, it's funny, it's fun for me. And sometimes it's very funny when I travel because um, I have a, a nice little arsenal of languages that I speak and languages that I'm familiar with. So I can understand quite a bit of what's going on around me and I can understand cultural um, disconnects that happen all around me. And when necessary, sometimes with a lot of douceur, so with like gentleness and of course with politeness, I'll intervene if I think I can make a situation easier, more pleasant for everyone. But sometimes I just observe. So what I wanted to do to segue into our French lesson was just give you some language travel tips as Anglophones. One of the things that, and also reassure you, I'm going to talk about some cultural differences between the French and the Italians to reassure you that this is not just an American thing when it comes to, or, or an Anglophone thing when it comes to being misunderstood in another culture. This happens between most cultures. One of the things that I noticed, uh, which is completely understandable overall, when I was in Rome, and I noticed it here also in Paris, but it was interesting to also see it in Rome, is that as English speakers, we don't say please enough. And this isn't a criticism. I'm not saying that, you know, that Americans are not polite. That's not true. I wouldn't say that. Also, I'm American. However, we tend to, and those of you who have taken my Basics for Beginners course or my, or have done my Cafe French course, you know what I'm talking about. In the English language, we tend to infuse our, our politesse, our manners, our politeness into the conditional tense. So, I would like a coffee, par exemple, for example. Whereas in the French language especially, the politesse is really embodied by the please, the s'il vous plaît. And I know that in English, it sounds like too much when we say, you know, um, can I have a coffee, please? May I have a coffee, please? I would like a coffee, please. It does sound like overkill. But one of the things that you uh, must remember is that to French ears, and, I, and a little bit less so, but but to a certain degree also, to Italian ears, that please is really important. So if you're saying, you know, I would like, whatever it would be, I would like, um, what would it be? I would like une omelette, right? Je voudrais. Now, if you've studied with me, you know that we wouldn't really say je voudrais une omelette here à Paris, en France, en français. We would say je prends une omelette, s'il vous plaît. I take an omelet, please. Now, this might sound really awkward, borderline direct, clumsy to Anglophone ears, but this is the way that we speak in French. The important thing is the s'il vous plaît. Same in Italian, the per favore. So, it's one thing if you're speaking in that language, so in this case, speaking in Italian or speaking in French. However, if you're speaking in English while you're traveling, which is okay, however, remember what I always say, use the words that you have. It really takes very little time to learn how to say, s'il vous plaît, right? Please, 
the formal version of please, or as I like to put it, not formal, but the more distanced version of please, because we would say s'il vous plaît to someone that we don't know very well. It's not necessarily based on whether or not it's a formal setting. Or in Italian, per favore, per favore. It honestly takes such little effort. You can learn these things on the plane. Or je vous en prie, you're welcome, right? Je vous en prie, you're welcome. Or merci, thank you. Or grazie, thank you in Italian. That said, though, et voilà, Tara, elle entend la voisine, she hears the neighbor. <laughs> that said, if you still need to order your meal in English or ask for directions in English, that's fine. However, keep in mind the importance of the word please, because if you start speaking in the conditional too much, or if you don't say hello first, or if you just sort of like, this is one of the things that happened at, at, a, at a restaurant I was at in Rome. There was a very nice couple sitting next to me. Um, I chatted with them a little bit. They're Brazilian, but they spent quite a bit of time both in the States and also in Paris. They have a daughter who lives here. And I started chatting with them actually because I overheard them trying to figure out in Portuguese how to ask if the portions were really big at the restaurant. And in a past life, in this lifetime, I think many of you know, when my, my very first job after college was actually as a paralegal. I was fairly close to going to law school, but, but after being a paralegal, I decided not to do that. However, as most decisions I've made in my professional life um, have, are, have been, uh, continue to be. They're based on culture and language. So I found a job at a law firm in New York that mainly had clients who were Spanish speaking or who spoke Portuguese, which was wonderful because I didn't speak Portuguese at the time, but the the law firm had a Portuguese uh, tutor that came to the firm every Friday. So I no longer really speak Portuguese, but I can understand quite a bit. So that's how we started chatting. I was helping them with, um, anyway, how to say, how to ask if the portions were too big. Very polite, charming couple. However, then I heard the husband uh, order in English, and he sounded really bossy. And and I thought, and I thought about this, and I thought, you know, this is too bad because he's at, he's coming off as something that he's not. He's actually he's really polite. He's very sweet, but because he didn't say please, he sounded polite in English uh, and confident in English, but because he wasn't saying please, because he was relying more on the conditional in English, and also because he was sort of in a, in a very sort of more Anglophone way, he was really listing, he was, it, was, it was like a bullet list of things he wanted instead of more taking his time as he ordered waiting until, you know, the waiter wrote down what he said. These are very subtle, subtle things that have to do also with just a slower pace of life. But I wanted to share this story with you to remind you of the importance of the word please in English when you're speaking in English, uh, at least in, in, in Europe, or at least in the countries that I've mentioned Remember that in, it's very important, and I hope I'm explaining this well, because it's actually very simple, but it's kind of complicated to explain that 
even if you are speaking, speaking English in France or in Italy, you still have to be mindful of the culture that your English is landing in. And this is very much a culture of s'il vous plaît. So it's very important for you to say please. And also just as a reminder that these cultural differences and misunderstandings are very natural. They happen all the time. My friend Mauro in Rome, he was laughing with me saying, you know, that that I sound too polite. I'm definitely not Italian. I sound way too polite. So there's, you know, there's always a varying degree to all of these things. However, if you're someone listening to this, and especially if you're one of my students, I feel that it is my duty to help you with these sorts of things in order that you not be misunderstood. Because sometimes these tiny misunderstandings can result in an experience that's sort of negative where maybe you've rubbed the waiter the wrong way, but you don't realize it. So you just think he's rude or having a bad day. And sometimes this can happen in in the opposite direction. You know, these sort of, it was sort of funny too. There was another couple at this restaurant. I watched them. They were sort of disgruntled. They weren't Italian either because there wasn't a plate of a plate and a bottle of olive oil provided on the table. But when you looked around the restaurant, none of the Italians were doing that. It's just not local custom, at least at this restaurant where I was. But it's interesting the ideas that we have when we go into another culture based on our experience with that culture in our own country. Of course, you go to an Italian restaurant in the States and you're going to have you know, the bread and you're going to put the, the olive oil on the plate and the salt and all these things, but that's, that was not at all what was happening at this restaurant. There was the bread, but there wasn't salt and pepper on the table because we trust the chef that they know what they're doing, et cetera, et cetera. So just these little subtle things. And that's one of the reasons why I love traveling so much. It's always such a wonderful reminder to that I don't know everything and that I am a stranger in a strange land. And basically, no matter what I do, it's going to be a little bit strange. <laughs> and that's why, or no matter what I say, it's going to be a little bit different. That's what I mean by strange, just different. And that's why it's so important to just keep things simple, relax. I actually love when I travel too because I tend to talk less. I listen more and I just sit back and observe. Et voilà, voilà. So I hope that that helps you in your next travels. And if that makes you think back on anything you've done or said while you've traveled and makes you cr- and, and makes you cringe a little bit, please don't. Please relax. Please do not worry. You know, there's never, like I said, when you're, when you're traveling in another country, you are just different and everything you are going to do is going to be different. However, that said, let us minimize these misunderstandings that could possibly result in something negative. So to get us into the French mood with the French language, let's do a little mantra together. This was this is from Being Yourself the French Way. One of you wrote me about this recently and about your experience with this mantra, which made me very happy. So I thought this would be a great segue. It's very simple. Je vis une histoire vraie. I'm living a true story. Je vis 
une histoire vraie. I personally love this phrase because it reminds me of the power that I have over my life. It reminds me of the magic that that life is. Malgré, despite its challenges, sometimes we have bonne surprise, good surprises. Sometimes we have mauvaise surprise, bad surprises. But these are all these the things that make up this wonderful, varied fabric of life. And also, as connected to time, I spoke quite a bit about time last week and in the newsletter I mentioned. Uh, speaking of the newsletter this weekend, I hope that you enjoy those interviews in French that I found with Sophia Lorraine, Sophia Lorraine. Her French is magnificent. Her English is magnificent. I loved listening to those interviews. I loved her comments on beauty, on the past, on ambition. Those of you who have taken my French Confidence or my L'Art de Vivre courses, I think you'll really appreciate her, the way that she talks about her own beauty in a sort of an objective way. I hope that you enjoy those. I tried to find ones that had the... Um, the subtitles available. So please write me and let me know what you think of those. And I also included those as a reminder that you can speak any language beautifully and having an accent actually has nothing to do whether or not you speak it beautifully. She speaks French with such elegance and she has the most beautiful Italian accent. So listen to that too. Listen, listen for her Italian accent and may that inspire you because our accents are part of Our history, they're part of who we are, right? And we're living a true story. Une histoire vraie. A true story. So as I mentioned in the newsletter last week, for me, my, my initial impressions of Rome as I'm now starting to really feel like I'm getting to know it or that it's this, and also with my um, you know, philosophy studies behind me, you know, not, not done behind me, but, you know, supporting me in my perceptions of Rome. It's this wonderful city where time is folded upon itself. There's no real division between the past and the present or the future. Time is folded upon itself, like literally physically as you're walking the streets and there's a modern restaurant and, oh, there's the Pantheon or, you know, all these wonderful, wonderful things. Um, but also, too, when you speak the, with the Italians, the Italians that I spoke with, I didn't get this sense from them that the, that the past is that far away. And I didn't get the sense either that that didn't mean that the present wasn't honored. They seem to have this wonderful way of honoring the eternal nature of humanity, but also really valuing the, the delicate, precious nature of our individual lives. It's like um, Luca, who I did the mini tour with, one of the most wonderful conversations we had was, you know, he was talking to me about how, you know, in Italy, they don't, they don't live to work. They work to live. For them, the most important thing about life is the living. And then my friend Mauro had a, a wonderful comment that, just married was, was such a beautiful made such a made for such a beautiful marriage with Luca's comment talking about this is when we were walking through the Vatican Museum talking about you know in Roman culture they they really really honored and honor 
all sides of the psyche. Now, you've heard me talk a lot about this in French culture, how French culture honors all of our feelings, right? Sadness, happiness, disappointment, um, pride, all of the things. But it was really interesting to speak with a Roman about how in Roman culture, it goes even deeper. You know, it's even the scary parts of our psyche, like, like, or things that are out of our control, like ecstasy or rage, that all of this is part of the human experience. So that said, it's very interesting when you have this dichotomy between, you know, the the eternal nature of humanity, Rome, the eternal city, and the ephemeral nature of our our lives. And that's why I really love this mantra that I wrote, je vis une histoire vraie. It helps me to remember that I'm living a true story. And so I want to live it in a way and I want to create it in a way and I want to leave a legacy uh, in such a way that when I look back on this story, like when you look back on a wonderful book that you just read, that when I look back on this story, throughout my life and at the end of my life, that, that I'm proud and that I feel like I never took it for granted. Je vis une histoire vraie. Now that said, of course, we cannot control everything because we're all complicated humans living together in this delicate life. But hopefully this mantra will give you sort of an, an anchor in moments where maybe you feel less powerful. So let's just say this together. Je vis une histoire vraie. I'll say it a few times and just start to join me as you can. Je vis une histoire vraie. 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 Is in French just so beautiful? So next, what we're going to do, we're going to do some more practice together. This is from my Conversation Verbs self-study program, which is actually part of the French Refresher course. So if you own the French Refresher course, you already have this towards the end. It's called the Verb Supplement in the French Refresher course, but it's also available for purchase as a standalone self-study course. And what I've done in this is I've taken you through the most commonly used tenses and some of the most common verbs, but only in the first person. Why have I done this? Because typically when we talk, we're talking in the first person. So conversation verbs literally is, if you're looking for ways to help you to become more comfortable in your French conversation practice, that's what this program was created for. So I'm going to take you through just simply, we'll go through faire and être together. So remember, faire means to make or to do, and être means to be. So for those of you who already know this, don't worry, because I'm, I'm sure you'll feel stretched in just a second, because we're going to go through quite a few tenses and also, remember, you can use this as excellent pronunciation practice, certainly for the French R. Repeat after me. I'll say each one in French, and then I'll give you the English translation. And this program comes with an ebook 
and with audios. Je fais. Je fais. I'm doing. I'm making. Je faisais. I was doing. I was making. J'ai fait. I made. I did. Je ferai. I would make. I would do. J'aurais fait. I would have done. I would have made. Je ferai. I will make. I will do. J'aurais fait. I will have made. I will have done. Je fasse. I make. I do. Now, je fasse, that's F-A-S-S-E. That's the subjunctive. Je fasse. I love the subjunctive. It's so beautiful. Now, you may have noticed two of these sound identical, but they have different meanings and they're spelled differently. And these are the two more, quote-unquote, advanced verb conjugations. So, j'aurais fait, I would have done, I would have made. That's the conditional past. Sounds exactly like, j'aurais fait, I will have made, I will have done. And that's what we call le futur intérieur. So these sound exactly the same, but they're spelled differently. The one that means I would have done or I would have made, j'aurais fait, is spelled J-A-U-R-A-I-S-F-A-I-T. And the one that means I will have made or I will have done and is pronounced j'aurais fait also is spelled exactly the same way but without the S. So it's J apostrophe A-U-R-A-I and then F-A-I-T. Next, let's look at être, which again means to be. Je suis. I am. J'étais. I was. It could also mean I was being, but we, we would rarely say that in English. So it's interesting. You've probably sensed this nuance too with the imperfect tense. So je faisais, j'étais. These tenses that we're always, this tense that we're always taught means I was, you know, I-N-G, I was being, I was doing, I was talking, I was buying. But it doesn't quite translate well into English, which is one of the reasons why students tend to have such a hard time with the imperfect tense, because it's taught in that way, that it means I was speaking, I was going, I was being, I was doing. 
but we don't really speak that way in English, not nearly as much as we speak that way in French. So that's one of the reasons why I developed a, a totally new system for teaching the imperfect and more specifically the relationship between the imperfect and le passé composé. So j'étais, I was, that's the imperfect. Rarely, it could mean I was being, but we would rarely say that in English. Next, the passé composé. J'ai été, I was. Je serai, I would be. So that's the conditional tense. That's spelled S-E-R-A-I-S. Remember that conditional tense has the S. Je serai, I would be. So that's serai with the S on the end. J'aurais été, I would have been. J'aurais été, I would have been. So now that's the conditional past. Je serai, I will be. So that's the future. Spelled S-E-R-A-I. No S on the end. J'aurais été, I will have been. So this is the futur antérieur, spelled J apostrophe A-U-R-A-I, and then E accent aigu, T, E accent aigu. So the same between the conditional present je serai, that has an S on the end, and the futur simple, the simple future, je serai, that does not have an S on the end, but je serai with the S on, on the end means I would be. Je serai without the S means I will be. And I know you're probably thinking, why do they do this? Why have it sound the same but spelled different, differently? Don't ask why. Just shrug your shoulders and smile and laugh and say, why not? That's the advice that I give to my students and my friend who I visited in Brussels recently who's doing an amazing job getting herself settled there. She and her wife are learning French. I'm so proud of them. We had so much fun. I was helping them study for their, their oral exams while I was there recently. They're doing so, so well. And on one of the walks we took in Brussels, she said to me, you know what, that bit of advice you give, don't ask why, just say why not. That's golden advice. Because if you keep saying why, 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 that's just resistance and that's not going to help anyone get anywhere. And I say that with a lot of compassion because I find myself doing that sometimes with philosophy. And sometimes we just have to let go and let the information wash over us and take a deep breath and just do our best to understand and, and, and let the information become a part of our minds so that we can move forward with it with grace and really, really let that information, be it a language, be it an idea, find its own place within us and its own place in our lives. So, je serai, with an S is I would be, with an S on the end, S-E-R-A-I-S. Je serai, without the S on the end, S-E-R-A-I is I will be. J'aurais été, is I would have been, that's J apostrophe A-U-R-A-I-S, and then E accent aigu, T, E accent aigu. J'aurais été, I will have been. That's spelled J apostrophe A-U-R-A-I, no S, and then E accent aigu, T, 
et accent aigu. And then finally, the subjunctive, so beautiful, je sois, S-O-I-S. So I could say, il faut que je sois chez elle à 16 heures. I need to be at their house at 4 p.m. Il faut que je sois chez elle à 16 heures. I need to be at their house at 4 p.m. And chez elle could mean actually her house or their house if it's all women. Et voilà mes cœurs. And there you go, my hearts. And last but certainly not least, I received some wonderful French language questions from a Parisienne, from a Parisian lady who is still going further along on her French journey here. So let me address these. These are some, she actually sent in quite a few, so I'm going to um, just answer a few and save the rest for another podcast. So this is always wonderful when I hear from my students that live in Paris because their questions tend to be more um, just about things that they hear often, which par exemple, for example, is exactly what I did with my Italian tutor, Serena, when I saw her last week. I had my list of phrases that I heard over and over in Rome. And she's actually from Napoli, from Naples. And it was really fascinating to have her answer these questions because, you know, Italy has not been a unified country for that long. And so there's still very much cultural and linguistic differences between the regions. So it was really interesting for her to explain to me, ah, yes, that's that's something that's typically Roman to say, or this is what it means when a Roman says it. So one of the things that this lovely Parisienne has heard a lot is j'ai entendu dire que. J'ai entendu Dire que. So this is a very long phrase when you compare its English translation, which is simply, I heard that, or I heard it said that, more literally. I heard, literally it would be, I have heard to say that, but figuratively it's, I heard that. J'ai entendu dire que. So J apostrophe A-I-E-N-T-E-N-D-U. And then dire, to say or to tell, D-I-R-E, and then que, Q-U-E. Another great one. J'ai entendu parler de. So let me use this in a sentence. J'ai entendu parler de ce film. So de ce film, of this film, or of that film, or of this movie, or of that movie. J'ai entendu parler de. J'ai entendu parler de. So this means, a figurative translation would be, I've heard people talk about. J'ai entendu parler de ce film. Ah, I've heard people talk about this film. Or, oh, someone, someone, no, it wouldn't really be someone told me about this film, but it would be more general. I've heard people talking about this film. J'ai. J apostrophe A-I, and then entendu, E-N-T-E-N-D-U, and then parler, right, to speak, P-A-R-L-E-R, de, D-E, ce, C-E, film, F-I-L-M. J'ai entendu parler de ce film. Uh, or it could simply even be, I've heard about this film, or I've heard about that film. Next, être 
en train de. This is a wonderful one. So this is a great way to replace the, in English when we would use um, ing. So I am reading. Je suis, now in French I could say je lis, simply je lis. I read or I'm reading. Remember that the present tense in French also means I am ing. So je lis, je, and then l-i-s. That can mean I read or I'm reading. But if I want to be really specific, like I'm in the process of reading, someone asks me, what are you doing right now? I am reading right now. Je suis en train de lire. Literally, like I'm in the process of reading. Je suis en train J-E, and then S-U-I-S, and then E-N, and then T-R-A-I-N, and then D-E, and then L-I-R-E. So I could also say, je suis en train de parler. I am speaking, or I'm in the process of speaking, or je suis en train de dîner. I am having dinner. I'm in the process of having dinner. And the next and last expression that I'm going to give you for today is venir de. This is a wonderful one. This is a great opportunity to not ask why, but to say why not, because it looks like to come of, and it does not mean that. So V-E-N-I-R and then D-E, venir de. It means I just. So I could say, uh, je viens de prendre un café. I just had a coffee. Or, this is really funny. Actually, this is a really funny note for me to close the podcast on. So let me first spell that example for you. Je viens de prendre un café. J-E and then V-I-E-N-S. It's, it's in the present tense, right? Je viens de, D-E, prendre, P-R-E-N-D-R-E, to take, right? Un, U-N, café, C-A-F. E accent aigu. Remember, we, we don't, it's prendre un café. We don't say avoir un café in French. It's prendre un café, to take a coffee. Je viens de prendre un café. I just had a coffee. When I was crossing the street the other night, it was raining. I had just done some grocery shopping. I didn't have an umbrella. Uh, it was nighttime. I was, you know, very... Um, Patiently waiting to cross the crosswalk. Oh, that's another great travel note for the Americans because I have noticed an American tendency, uh, and again, I say this with sympathy and empathy because I understand where you're coming from, to sort of, to when you're crossing on a, at a crosswalk in Paris or in, in Italy, to have this sort of, uh, to really have it anchored in your mind that it's a crosswalk, so they're going to stop. No, 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 no. You can't just like with, you can't just put yourself out on the crosswalk here. You have to really pay attention. It's a different culture. They won't necessarily stop. And I, I mean, they'll, they'll, of course they'll stop when they see you, but it's, just, it's a little more delicate than that. You can never assume that people have seen you or that they're going to stop. You can't assume because it's a crosswalk, you can just go. You have to, you know, really watch and observe and wait. Plus in cities like Paris and Rome, there's not just cars, there's, there's motorcycles, there's scooters, there's bicycles. You know, this, this, this is just a very, I know it sounds really obvious what I'm saying, but please uh, don't, with a lot of, you know, pride and confidence, just put yourself out into a crosswalk. 
you can't do that. You have to sort of watch. So anyway, I was waiting for a great, an opportune moment to put myself out on my journey to cross the street on the crosswalk. And all of a sudden I heard in this gentleman's voice, à Rome, les voitures s'arrêtent. In Rome, the cars stop, or literally in Rome, the cars stop themselves. And he was, he was a French gentleman. And I turned to him and I said, Ah, je viens de rentrer de Rome. I just got back from Rome. Or literally, I just, uh, yeah, I, or I just came home from, I just got home from Rome. And we had this funny discussion about how, um, you know, in Paris, the cars don't necessarily stop at the crosswalks. But it's interesting because as an American, I didn't really see them stopping. Well, not American style at the crosswalks, but they definitely tend to stop more at the crosswalks in Rome than they do in Paris. So I'll end this podcast on a cultural note, as I promised. So to not make any of the Americans or the Anglophones listening feel like we're the only ones who stand out when we're in Europe. Of course, there's cultural differences between the Europeans and they have their own rivalry. So if you've, uh, it was really funny being in Rome because I, um, you know, I would chat with people and they'd ask me where I was was from and I'd say I'm from Northern California, but I live in Paris and they'd say, oh, Paris, it's so beautiful. And I had a couple of conversations like this and they'd say, but, but, but how do you live there with the Parisians? And I'd say, oh, I don't, you know, I, I'm, I love the Parisians. I don't know, you know. I'm not, uh, I don't have any problems with the Parisians. And they'd say, yes, but they're so cold. They can be so snobby. They can be so tough. One of the women I even spoke to said, oh, I'm kind of afraid of the Parisians. So please know if you've ever had any of those thoughts, you're not alone. But again, this is not about Parisians being cold or Parisians being mean or snobby per se. This is just about cultural differences. The Romans, and this is one of the reasons why I love being down there, the Romans are, they're very friendly and they're very relaxed. And so when you juxtapose that against you know, a typical Parisian, I could appreciate how a Roman would think that a Parisian was sort of cold and snobby. And I could appreciate how a Parisian might think that a Roman was sort of um, maybe overly friendly, maybe not so sincere. That's one of the things that Parisians have a hard time about with Americans is that, you know, we're so friendly to them you know, it takes so much time to build not just friendship, but a certain level of friendliness that to them just being friendly off the bat is like incredible. It's incredible. So they can easily see it as being, you know, full, as being fake. But these are all just differences. These are the wonderful differences, as I, as I said earlier, that make up this beautiful fabric of life. And as I'm looking back on my trip to Rome, I'd say the things that stick out are really that beautiful golden Roman light the love for La Gourmandise. So there it's not just like, if you did my Living with Food the French Way course, it's not just about les fêtes, the holidays and special occasions. I mean, it is just loving to eat. And Sophia Loren talks about that in the interviews with her that I included in the newsletter. She was born in Rome. And um, and so that was very, very fun for me because uh, I, I I eat a lot and it was very celebrated down there. I was, you know, also, I was just gourmandise too. I was really letting myself just enjoy and go. And it was fun to sort of be in the clean plate club in uh, in Rome and have the server say, brava, like, well done. 
So that was fun. Um, and also just a level of decadence that, uh, I mean, it's just incredible when you visit some of these villas and you look at the ceilings and an appreciation for nature. I love the frescoes indoors. I mean, how simple, but how genius. As someone who loves nature so much, I thought, wow, that would be amazing one day to have frescoes like that. Like, why not bring nature to you? And speaking of the ceilings, I had a wonderful conversation with the French woman who um, gave me the tour at Villa Medici, which everyone should do. It's so fabulous. The cafe is open to the public. You can sit where I posted that photo I posted on Instagram and have a beautiful cappuccino or an espresso, whatever you want, and sit and read or have lunch. Um, but we were joking about that. Like the ceilings in the villa are so beautiful. And I thought, you know, why would you ever get out of bed if you have that to stare at? Just decadence, 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 decadence. And I think another thing that really stayed with me after that trip is, um, I think I'm going to stop using the term strong woman. Every single woman that I met in Rome or that I noticed on the street just had this strength to her, this feeling of autonomy and, and strength is inherent to women. Women are strong. I don't think there's any such thing. I don't think it's necessary to say, to call someone a strong woman. Women are strong. The, there's a, there's a confidence in the Parisian women that's very much, I, I believe, centered in them knowing themselves. There's that that I sensed in the Italian women, but there's also this greater detachment from, from, from outside perception. What I would say, I'm thinking of the French word regard, like a look, like I just mean the way that they dress with the colors and the flair. And also I think it does have something to do with the fact that Italian men love women so much. There's so much attention from Italian men towards women that I think that at a certain point it's sort of lost on the Italian women and that sort of letting go of the, that sort of just sort of, there's no, the male gaze doesn't seem to have any effect on them. And that adds, I think because it's so present that it just sort of adds this level of autonomy that was really something really, really something to witness, to have witnessed. Et voilà, mes coeurs, and there you go, my hearts. Merci d'être là. Thank you for being here. Je vous souhaite un très beau dimanche. I wish you a very beautiful Sunday. Je vous souhaite une très belle semaine. I wish you a very beautiful week. And keep your eyes peeled for the spring quarter announcement at the beginning of March and start thinking, those of you who have asked about the French philosophers, writers, and poets course in English, start uh, thinking about that, start getting excited about that and making time for that in your schedule as well as room for that in your budget, in your budget. Je vous embrasse très très fort. I send you a very, very big kiss. <laughs>